This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Lim Su An and joining me in the studio is T. Xiao Ik. So our story for you today is going to look at the reporting of a few suicide cases in recent weeks which have raised concerns over how they were reported. So as the mental health pandemic looms over us while the COVID-19 pandemic rages on, we take a look at the do's and the don'ts uh, when it comes to reporting suicides in the news and why this matters, especially for people who are living with mental health issues. And we want to hear from you, what do you do when you see coverage on news platforms that sensationalizes or reports irresponsibly on suicide? Um, we have a poll running with that question, which has a few options for you to choose from. Do you share it? Do you call it out on social media? Uh, does it not bother you? Or perhaps you don't notice? So you can take that poll at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp us uh, at 018-789-8899 to tell us um, what you do. Perhaps uh, something thing that uh, is not listed in the options that I just mentioned. Mm. And so, you know, just last week, I remember coming across um, a couple of cases of suicide that were reported in the news. I mean, there was one case of um, an elderly man in Serdang who was reported to have been saddled with a significant medical bill and had also been tested positive for COVID-19 for uh, uh, twice, if I remember that right. And then there was another report of an assistant medical officer in Ipoh who was reported to have been under severe stress due to personal health issues. And just quickly browsing through news in the past month, you know, and it's only January of the year and and there have been already other cases of suicide reported um, and uh, across the month, you know, around Malaysia as well as just one that I saw in the news earlier today. Yeah, and, um, you know, we are talking about this not to um, sensationalise or not to hone in on individual uh, incidents, Mm. um, but... Uh, we want to look at um, sort of how they were reported. And in fact, uh, the fact that these recent reports that you mentioned, when they actually attracted quite a bit of attention on some social media platforms due to how they were mm. reported. Because um, some of um, these uh, news portals uh, and organisations, their articles were accompanied by images of the scene and of the deceased, mm. uh, even though it was pixelated. But it was still um, you know, quite graphic uh, and uh, pretty insensitive, I think. And yes. so... There were a lot of social media users who criticised this kind of coverage because really it goes against guidelines on how news media should report on suicides. So we saw medical experts and journalists alike both weighing in on the importance of following um, uh, media reporting guidelines that are actually already available. And um, these uh, experts and journalists, um, they did highlight how this isn't the first time that this kind of coverage has happened uh, and they emphasised repeatedly that suicide shouldn't be sensationalised or belittled as mm. well. Mm. And like you said, Chow, you know, we do have a wide variety of resources on this, right? The Ministry of Health themselves have uh, have published guidelines on media reporting on suicide, but this was last uh, updated in 2011, however, so that was 10 years ago. And a lot of journalists as well as uh, medical experts uh, that I saw on social media did point to the fact that MOH does have guidelines. Like, they, they might not have been updated for for a while, but that doesn't make them any less irrelevant. You know, these are still important mm-hmm. um, rule of thumb, uh, rules of thumb that are available for journalists to follow. It's right there, right? Exactly. And the, uh, the World Health Organization also has comprehensive guidelines on this. Um, and just a 
you know, I, I found so many other guidelines that are provided by various mental health organizations around the world. And these all very clearly and comprehensively list what should and shouldn't be done when reporting on these news. Mm, so like you said, you know, if they are available and they're accessible, there's really no excuse for journalists and media organizations and media practitioners across the board mm. um, to not know and not follow because uh, time and time again, uh, mental health experts have come out um, to, to to highlight the need to follow these guidelines. Um, and like you said, you know, mental health experts and organisations, the NGOs themselves um, have taken it upon mm. themselves to, to provide um, their own guidelines, which, um, you know, they provide in a manner that's um, easy for media organisations to understand and to follow, you know, this kind of information with with the internet today is really just at the tip of our fingertips. Um, Yet, irresponsible reporting persists. um, And we can see um, that there is a trend in, of course, the kind of clickbait um, articles that are put out there for public consumption, mm. um, but we can't we can't just blame it on the clickbait kind of news sites. You know, mainstream media um, and mainstream uh, uh, news organizations um, are guilty of it uh, to some extent as well. That's right. I, I saw quite a few people who they may not have directly um, shared those articles, but they did point out. You know, they did call out these media organizations who were sharing, um, like you mentioned earlier, this pic isolated images of the scene of what had happened because even if it's blurred out, these are still graphic images. Yes, um, extremely triggering um, for people who are facing their own mental health issues or, or, or challenges. Um, you know, uh, identifiable information as well and, and personal uh, individualized information like um, how, uh, you know, uh, it happened, the place, uh, and we've seen other reports in the past that have done that as well. You know, the guidelines all say that these are the kinds of things that shouldn't be included in the news reports. Mm, it, it should just be general information uh, when you are reporting on these situations, right? And I think this really comes at the time when mental health issues are on the rise or have been exacerbated by the pandemic, right? I mean, think back to around this time last year, you know, when countries around the world began seeing the first cases of COVID-19 and then in March and April, you know, people, um, governments started locking down their countries, um, closing their borders. Experts were already warning of the mental health impact of those measures. Um, people were stuck at home alone. They had not much social interaction with their friends and their family. They were unable to go out in certain countries, you know. And then following that, there were also concerns over the economic fallout. You know, people had pressures from work because they were unable to fulfill their commitments um, mm-hmm. b- because they had to work from home, juggling work-life balance. Some yeah. people even lost their job. They had no stable income. And the, all of those together can have serious mental health issues. Mm. Uh, sorry, can have serious mental health consequences. That's right. And um, not just adults, um, children and teens as well are um, struggling uh, in ways that perhaps may not be so obvious, but we are coming, we are starting to, to talk about it a lot more. So in the past year, many of them weren't able to socialise with friends or, or go to school, right? Have face-to-face lessons. Um, even when they were able to go to school for that short period, there were such strict SOPs mm. to be followed. And it's just not natural for kids to to be told to stay apart from your friends don't um don't stand together and talk right it's, you can't play together yeah it, it just goes against that idea of of being a child being a young person mm. you know um and really um 
people of all ages can develop mental health issues. It's something that may be hard, um, especially for parents to to acknowledge. But you know, it's something as serious as suicides. We cannot discount um, the fact that young people are um, equally affected as well. So all mental health issues across the board have to be recognized and addressed and treated. Um, something that we've heard repeatedly as well, not just during this pandemic, but um, you know. F- Every time um, we want to raise issues or raise awareness about mental health is that suicides are preventable um, and everybody can do something to help our friends or loved ones if you know that they are dealing with uh, mental health issues. Mm. And, and suicides um, are a serious mental health issue, right? Because according to the World Health Organization, um, latest statistics from 2019 show that close to 800,000 people die due to suicide every year. And now we have serious concerns that the pandemic is exacerbating that risk of suicide. Um, just a few recent articles that I came across from other countries re- um, in, in the news, you know, there was a recent study looking at suicide rates in Japan, which found that um, the number rose by 16% from July to October last year, compared to a decline of suicide rates by 14% in the first half of the year. So there was a a dip initially, and then it went up. And then there was another survey by the CDC in the US conducted in June last year, and that found that more than 10% of those they surveyed seriously considered suicide in the past month, compared with over just 4% in 2018 who seriously considered suicide over the past 12 months. Hmm, so clearly um, a, a huge need there that, that, that has to be addressed. And if we look at our own country, the latest statistics uh, we have are from January to June of last year. And that showed that there were 465 attempted suicide cases treated at the Ministry of Health. So these are official figures. Now that 465 is lower compared to the 675 cases recorded for the same period in 2019. But as I said, that's just from January to June of last year. So we don't have the number for the entire year. We don't have sort of like disaggregated numbers to know whether the cases increased um, or not after our movement control order was implemented. Um, But if we look at different kinds of statistics, the psychosocial first aid hotline that was set up by the Ministry of Health together with Mercy Malaysia saw half, 50% of the calls that they received requiring emotional support and counselling for stress, anxiety and despair. Yeah, and to take um, to take an example from one of the states, you know, Sabah was one of the worst hit um, states for the COVID-19 pandemic, I think uh, starting late last year, mm-hmm. you know. So in November, according to Befrienders Kota Kinabalu, they reported that they had more calls to their Sabah hotline since the MCO was implemented in March and that the number of calls from March to October last year was almost equal to what they received for all of 2019. Mm. And 30% of um, the 1,400 calls they received last um, from March to October last year were actually from individuals having suicidal thoughts and Befrienders KK's publicity director Jesse Young said that people were feeling isolated, they were lonely and they lacked social support Um, some of them even said that they were facing financial difficulties, they had issues in continuing their education or even family problems that led to them seeking out help from um, the hotline and another article that I saw quite uh, very briefly in the Straits Times Befrienders KL reported that over a third 
third of the calls they received from March to May last year were suicidal in nature. And this third uh, was out of over 4,100 4, calls. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, earlier I said that suicide is preventable. But as you said, if you look at the reasons that people are reaching out um, and calling uh, helplines like Befrienders, it, um, it, it points to a lot of um, psychosocial, uh, emo- uh, environmental factors, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, what's going on in your life related to family, livelihood, your employment, things like that. So in order to prevent suicide, we have to address those factors. And so, you know, it's not going to be an easy path to prevent suicide. Um, One of the hurdles, um, though, I guess really if you zoom out and look at the need, is just awareness. Mm. Um, The fact that people need to be aware that if you are encountering feelings of hopelessness and if you have suicidal tendencies, um, if you have mental health challenges, um, the awareness that you need support and care for that and that you can reach out for it. Um, the awareness has improved over the years, of course, due to just more and more conversations about mental health. But, you know, I, I, I guess you could say that uh, more work needs to be done. It's it's never going to be enough mm. in a way. Um, the second hurdle um, is the access to help. So being aware that you need to reach out for help. And then, you know, how do you get that access, right? Mental health help can be expensive. Um, it can be a financial burden for those who can't afford it. We also have an issue of the number of um, mental health professionals mm. uh, uh, able to provide those services. We don't have enough psychiatrists and clinical psychologists in less urban areas. So that's something, it's, it's, it's a policy issue that needs to be addressed as well. Mm. I mean, speaking of policy, one of the largest hurdles that we've spoken about time and time again is the fact that attempted suicide is still a crime under the penal code, under Section 309. So what that means is that you know, an individual who attempted suicide could face a maximum jail term of one year, be fined, or a combination of both, rather than the focus of getting them the psychology, the mental health help that they need, you know, mm-hmm. that's having that support. And of course, why we're talking about um, suicide today is of the need for responsible and just better reporting about suicides because the media does play a role, you know, whether we realise it or not, um, whether it affects you personally or not. There is someone out there who, if they come across an irresponsible media report about a suicide, might be negatively affected by that report. Mm. And so that's what we want to find out from you, um, that uh, sort of like what, how do you feel and what, what do you do when you see coverage on news platforms that either sensationalizes or, or, or also reports irresponsibly on suicide? We have a poll with several options on our Twitter account at BFM Media. Um, do you share it? Call it out on social media. Um, it doesn't bother you or you don't notice. So you can take that poll at BFM Radio. Also, just WhatsApp your your thoughts um, at 018-789-8899. Yes, and so uh, we'll go for a short break now. But after that, we'll come back and speak to consultant psychiatrist Dr. Amir Sidek bin Amir Nordin on the do's and don'ts when it comes to reporting on suicide in the news and how we can better prevent um, suicides in our, in our community and in our population. So stay tuned to The Daily Digest. BFM 89.9.
Welcome back to the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An, and T. Xiao Ik. So before the break, we were talking about the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on suicide rates and on people who have um, who have higher risk of suicide because of the mental health toll they're experiencing from the pandemic. So that conversation was sparked by recent reports on cases of suicide in Malaysia, which did not adhere to media guidelines that are freely available from the Ministry of Health, the WHO, as well as many other mental health NGOs. And uh, speaking of of media reporting. It's something that we all see. We all come across these kinds of news reports um, when we're on social media or visiting news portals. So what do you do when you see coverage that sensationalizes or reports irresponsibly on suicide? Um, we have a poll question on that uh, on our Twitter account at BFM Media. So um, right now, um, 57.5% uh, of you have voted that uh, it said that you will call it out on social media. Any of these are sensationalistic or irresponsible coverage. 21.9% um, of you say that you don't notice. And, and you know, well, that's a, that's a really honest, uh, candid uh, uh, acknowledgement. 17.8% mm. uh, of you say that it doesn't bother you. 2.7% um, of you say that you'll share it. Um, so take that poll at BFM Radio, not BFM Media. I've gotten our own Twitter account wrong. Do take that poll at BFM Radio. Um, you can also WhatsApp us at 0187898899. And now turning to an expert's perspective on why responsible media reporting on suicide is important, we have joining us via Zoom today Associate Professor Dr. Amir Sidek bin Amir Nordin, a consultant, psych, consultant psychiatrist from University Malaya Medical Center. He's also a semi-regular guest on our Health and Living show on BFM. Welcome to the show, Dr. Amir. Um, just to start off, what role does the media play when it comes to reporting on suicides? So the media has a really huge role uh, in actually um, doing its part in suicide prevention, particularly in its reporting. You know, they could uh, either make a massive uh, mess of the situation uh, or they can do the opposite by actually doing a lot of good. So uh, to me, the media is a tremendous um, opportunity and uh, important stakeholder uh, in suicide prevention um, actions. So the need for responsible reporting on suicides is not a new issue, including here in Malaysia. But why is there this continued struggle to move away from sensationalised or clickbaity kind of headlines? So you're exactly right. Uh, it's not something that's new. In fact, we did uh, about two years ago, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, even a small workshop uh, with colleagues of the media uh, in trying to share with them about the pros and cons of, uh, you know, med uh, good media reporting. Um, however, um, as I've just been uh, notified in Twitter uh, today, this morning itself, uh, yet another uh, news portal has actually shown um, things that we are trying to avoid, you know, pixelated photos, sensational uh, headlines uh, about a recent uh, death. So I, I really don't understand um, how much more do we need to do. Uh, I suspect that uh, we really need that commission on um, uh, media uh, engagement that has been apparently set up or was going to be set up about a year ago uh, to deliberate a little bit more about uh, the do's and don'ts uh, on media reporting. Because as I've mentioned just now, there's a, there's a huge opportunity in actually preventing more suicide uh, especially knowing, uh, and I've shared this before uh, early last year, that as the pandemic rolls on, the mental health crisis increases. Uh, and one of the outcomes that we're trying to avoid is going to be suicide. Uh, 
so it's everybody's responsibility, uh, including um, the media, to actually do uh, safe media reporting to prevent further untimely deaths of people. So I think we really need to sit down, uh, reflect, uh, and probably look at those guidelines again uh, so that we get you know, the, the best outcome for our people to prevent further untimely deaths from happening. So when reporting on suicide, what are the do's and don'ts that media organisations, uh, practitioners and journalists must keep in mind? So there are a number of uh, do's and don'ts, and these have been highlighted by the World Health Organization. Uh, further, this has been deliberated even in Malaysia as well. So some of the do's that you know, we recommend is, number one, to provide accurate information about where to seek help. You know? And this could definitely be at the very end or at the very beginning of that particular article. You know, do educate individuals about the benef- uh, sorry about the uh, facts on suicide uh, and suicide prevention uh, without actually spreading any myth or any uh, ambiguity. You know, do write about how to cope with life stressors. It's really important that people find hope uh, in the article that's actually written. You know, do uh, show some level of compassion when you're writing. You know, sometimes we are seeing people write as if that person was not a person, that somebody has died, you know, we, we have to take note of that. Uh, so some of the don'ts, and these are the ones that we stress often time and time again, yet as I've shared with you just now a little bit, it's not been actually followed through. Number, four, number one is actually do not sensationalize, don't make sensational titles, you know, don't, don't make uh, titles that, like you said, clickbaity that people want to look through. I mean, people have just died uh, it's important for us to highlight it, but we don't have to sensationalize it. Um, don't use language which actually normalizes suicide as well, uh, or languages which um, point some level of blame or, or some level of heroism, because sometimes the way that people write also might influence uh, you know, people at some point. Um, definitely do not uh, show any uh, or write any descriptions about the methods of dying. Uh, it's very important uh, that that's been highlighted as well. We've we've heard of cases whereby, you know, when we ask, how did you think about this? They said that, well, it's written step by step in the newspaper, you know. So definitely that's not something that we encourage. Uh, don't provide uh, details about the site and location. Again, we are trying to prevent a copycat uh, acts. Uh, and of course, finally, don't use any photographs. I personally don't think there's any reason for us to use any type of photograph, even pixelated ones, uh, for cases like this, you know, uh, so I think these are some of the don'ts uh, that we uh, definitely won't want you or encourage you not to do uh, on um, on the media reporting. So, Dr. Amir, would it then be better to not report individual suicide cases in the news at all? Well, it's it's a really tough call on that one, Sue, because um, on some point the media's role is actually to educate. Um, and we definitely want uh, people to be educated about suicide prevention uh, and, of course, the dangers of not seeking help early. Uh, but at the same time, I think even if you wanted to report an individual who might be a little bit more prominent, there doesn't need to be that sensationalization, you know, like, you know, famous so-and-so, you know. It could just be, uh, you know, uh, a very short, uh, neutral description about an individual uh, who has left us a bit prematurely um, and at the same time, you know, you put a lot of highlight about maybe like we discussed this now, um, the uh, stressors and how to cope with them. And then, of course, where to find that help. So people who uh, are at least informed about the death 
um, and then at the same time they you know they acknowledge that uh, this person might have struggled but of course help is available so those who are relating to that individual will then be able to find the help what you don't need is something to make uh, you know to make it sound like that person did a heroic act uh, before he died and on top of that he's quite famous or she's quite famous for example or prominent or known uh, and then you describe further how that act was committed i mean that's definitely a no no and worst case you put a picture of some sort even if you've heavily pixelated it um you know for people to i don't know what they want people to do to relate to it in some ways but it's not helpful at all um but you know i think it needs to be reported but it needs to be reported responsibly unless for example you feel that you know it's like a small uh, individual uh, who um, has committed the act in a small place that you don't think is relevant i think it should be just left out because there's no maybe added value in putting that story across uh, because there's just no relations at all apart from trying to get some level of um, almost like a gossipy um, you know uh, article out Hmm. And, and and like you touched on, you know, I think some of us simply read it as facts, but we don't realize that irresponsible reporting uh, of a suicide could be triggering to people who are already dealing with mental health issues and suicidal thoughts. True, you're exactly right. So you know, we've heard uh, in the past before these media irresponsible reporting guidelines will come out, uh, the way that uh, people wrote about these cases might encourage people who were thinking about it to actually act. Uh, some individuals who are already uh, fairly disturbed uh, because of various reasons um, and were contemplating it would then be given in a way a new um, uh, a new light uh, on how to do things and where to do it you know um, and then of course if you write it in the wrong manner it sounds like it's something that is positive rather than something that's negative so uh, definitely the role of these reportings are really important because you can either cause a death Uh, or save uh, uh, you know people from actually committing to these acts like i said some people that are troubled are actually looking for help um, and when they read about a person who is having almost the same situation as they were but um, you know this particular article provided everything that you could do to support the individual that person will then know where to direct themselves to the help that is needed we've seen a lot of those cases happen as well At the same time as I've shared with you a little bit briefly we've also seen the opposite where individuals were given a little bit too much information uh, and then attempted to um, act on them uh, and as a result of that ended up uh, to our services so it's it's really important uh, for us to be responsible and you're right as well uh, sometimes the pictures the descriptions can trigger individuals who might have gone through but have been uh, you know who have actually managed to um uh, not uh, go through with the act uh, action at all but it might trigger or uh, remind them of what they've done in the past which might cause them to have a short uh, mental health crisis uh, which again we've seen as well uh, because of the reporting imagine uh, they've been well for many years maybe many months and they were okay reading the papers but normal or watching television and then because of somebody's uh, irresponsible reporting they get triggered so that's the amount of impact that uh, all of us can do i mean why i say all of us because we now have official media uh, people and unofficial media people right everybody who has a handphone uh, is literally a reporter sometimes right mm. we put it on your facebook your twitter your instagram 
can also make a huge uh, impact to the people around you. So don't take it lightly. Do you know? Do look up on the guidelines. Do what you can do to assist um, people from actually getting help, but preventing uh, an untimely death from happening. It's interesting you brought up that it's not just official media, but it's all the rest of us using social media as well. And we need to be responsible social media users and not enable irresponsible uh, irresponsible reporting, even if it's simply sharing the article, right? True. In fact, I think it should be made um, into a program in schools. I know schools are already overburdened, but you know it's really important because the new generation are literally uh, gadget um, uh, proficient, right? Um, so uh, moving forward, uh, the way that they write will definitely impact many people. And I think this should be also shared with them very early on. So let's take a look at suicide itself. Um, it was reported that there was a spike in cases during the MCO and after throughout 2020. Um, are you concerned that the second MCO might see a similar spike again? Uh, yes, I think it's just the continuation uh, of the situation that we're all in uh, is a shared uh, I've been concerned about this as early as uh, March and April last year, hoping that there will be lots of initiatives to um, assist people who are actually struggling moving towards the end of the year, moving towards early this year, and if not quarter two of this year, because we know that the pain uh, will only uh, continue, sadly, uh, because of the various um, economical burdens that we're all facing uh, out there, apart from the concern uh, on health, and as we now know that there are, you know, mutated strains of COVID, which of course increases uh, or heightens the sense of anxiety uh, and also uh, bleakness in many people. So, you know, we've also seen uh, as early as January 2021, a number of cases have been reported uh, by uh, many people, um, which I think is just a continuation of what happened uh, last year. Uh, so, you know, I hope that we, we're prepared already. Um, you know, I've shared before that at least our um, uh, helpline is still active. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who are requiring help, you know, uh, Talian Kasih 15999 is very much active, uh, still manned by MOH and the Ministry of Women's uh, for that. And of course, the NGO partners, Befrienders, as always, um, have uh, improved their services and continue to take calls. But there are a number of other NGOs that have also put a bit of a helpline out there, like Miasa, for example, and Souls Health. So there are uh, groups out there that are trying to help, and they're consistently and uh, continuing the activity, uh, despite the fact that we're not in the MCO 1.0, because we all know that uh, the the pain is only you know is still people are still struggling. So my concerns are still the same, Sue, in terms of people's mental well-being and mental health. Uh, I think that people need to prioritize it because it's really, really important uh, as they go through the many challenges that they're going through at the moment that they, you know, they do what they need to do to um, em emphasize and, uh, and increase that because um, you know, it, if not, we're going to be really having a new crisis that will come out once we reduce the infectious issue of COVID with the vaccine, then we're going to be left with uh, mending up the pieces or picking up the pieces of a mental health crisis that we did not uh, do anything about, although we anticipated it in happening. And helplines aside, are there other measures that you would like to see being taken, especially in the short term, to address these mental health issues and to prevent suicides? Uh, yes, um, you know, one of the things, of course, the helpline is the cheapest uh, and in a way the uh, fastest way of doing things. 
But I think we still need a lot of noise in a sense that we we need a lot of discussions and communications about mental health and mental illnesses, uh, particularly in this uh, first and second quarter of this year. Because as I've shared, you know, we are expecting people to struggle. So I think it's really important for us to, um, you know, have a little bit more discussion. So people who are then struggling will be able to find help. You do not know how many people have actually come forward as a result of the many activities that we've had um, along the year of 2020. And I think this needs to be continued. We're not working on a campaign in say October uh, because you know that's great to have, but I think for mental health at the moment, it needs to be something that is discussed uh, weekly, if not at least every couple of weeks so that people that have not heard about it or were contemplating about it, uh, but now are now struggling, uh, they were not struggling before, uh, would then be reminded about where to find help and what they can do for themselves uh, in order to improve their mental health. And what about the need to continue efforts towards decriminalizing suicide? Well, definitely, that's definitely number one on the list. And I'm aware that, uh, you know, um, there are lots of activities that are moving towards that. Um, first of all, uh, we in order to find uh, help, one needs to be at least... Uh, uh, not worry that one's going to be charged uh, to find that help. Uh, and I think there was a recent uh, article that was just just came out a couple of days, if not today, uh, about another uh, suicide attempt, but it was specifically written there that this person is going to be charged under the uh, criminal penal code. I, I think that that shouldn't have happened. Uh, and again, uh, we, like I said, we're expecting situations like this to uh, only get uh, a bit more dire, if not continue this way. So I think decriminalization of uh, suicide needs to be done, if not done already, um, to help more people rather than to punish them when they're already down and almost out. And what are your concerns over people's access to mental health help during this current MCO, uh, as well as fears over contracting COVID-19? Yes, yeah, so first of all, I just wanted to reiterate everyone that help is still available. The hospitals are open. Of course, uh, we encourage you not to come if you have no reason to come, but if you definitely have a reason to come, please come. Um, and the services are available. Um, you know, most of the hospitals will at least have an emergency department uh, and they will be able to at least assist you in the um, immediate uh, relief. Uh, and then some of the bigger hospitals will have psychiatrists. Uh, and also psycho clinical psychologists that which may be able to be help you, which might be able to help you. At the same time, we've also got access to um, the private psychiatrists uh, in both their normal clinics and also the hospitals, which again uh, hopefully will be able to assist you uh, if you're in need of that help. Um, we also know that, like I said just now, that there are various NGOs that also have counseling helplines. So if you're struggling, uh, you can you know come forward that way. Uh, and of course, uh, the uh, Ministry of Women's also have counsellors uh, and they can also cater to a number of uh, clients that might require their help. So I think the first thing is that you need to know that help is available and help is still operational. Uh, the second one is that, you know, we're blessed in the sense that we have both public and private healthcare access that you can access without needing too much of a hassle. Uh, depends on which location you are. Uh, again, uh, you know, being aware of that is really important. And I think the third one is that uh, mental health care is not just psychiatrists. We've got clinical psychologists, counselors, um, you know, some social workers are trained in mental health. So there are various people that you can at least approach, uh, which might be able to help. But 
um, as we've discussed before, we, we need it still to be more accessible. Uh, you know, what I'm sharing with you are lots of uh, activities, but we, we want more access, more personnel, but we want more trained personnel. So it's really important that they are trained uh, well, uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, um, we definitely anticipate that this might be a problem moving forward. And so to bring it down to the individual level, what can I do, for example, if I know someone who might be contemplating suicide? So, of course, um, we talk about the Let's Talk Minda Sihat campaign, uh, which uh, T-A-L-K has a meaning. Uh, so T is tell someone that you trust your problem. So if you happen to be that guy, that person who uh, is trustworthy, good for you. Uh, if not, find someone that you trust to tell your problem. Those who are struggling, ask for help. Uh, for some of us who are blessed to be the person that people want to talk to, L is listen without judgment. It's really important that we listen to our friend who's sharing his or her uh, problems, um, but not react to it by giving unsolicited advice. And K is nowhere to find help. So for those of us, again, who are blessed to uh, being able to listen to the problem uh, without judgment, you know, ask permission if you can help. But first of all, nowhere to find that help for that person. So this is the one that I was sharing just now of the various activities and initiatives that are out there for you to assist your friend uh, to get the right help and hopefully save that life. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Amir. That was Associate Professor Dr. Amir Siddiq bin Amir Nodin, consultant psychiatrist from UM, uh, from University of Malaya Medical Center and a semi-regular on health and living here at BFM. And, you know, he was talking to us about how we can better address mental health issues and especially uh, suicide prevention um, in our community, as well as how as media organizations, as journalists, we can do better and we can be more responsible about how we report on these cases because we play an important role in educating the public. But we also don't want to um, trigger people who are dealing with mental health issues themselves. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've mentioned a lot about um, journalists, media practitioners, and I just wanted to uh, add some, uh, you know, I guess the the, the, rea- the reality of a newsroom, mm. uh, which may not be immediately apparent, and perhaps it's something that, um, you know, mental health professionals also need to learn about how newsrooms work and look at um, how they can reach out to different levels. Um, there, there are so many layers of bureaucracy in the newsroom, actually, because the journalist writes the piece, but it goes through a sub-editor, a news editor, you know, um, other OCs in the newsroom. And at any of those levels, um, other editors could add or change the language in the piece. And if um, everybody, if if not everyone in every layer is aware of um, what are the guidelines for responsible reporting, um, that's where I think the gaps would be and uh, mistakes could be made. So it's important for this kind of education on mental health issues and suicide prevention to be filtered through all levels in media organisation. But of course it's, um, and we've said repeatedly, Dr Amir said it as well, it's not just um, left up to the media, Mm. all of us as social media users, you know, we have a role to play as well. And so, you know, that's why we were asking, what do you do when you see coverage on news platforms that sensationalizes suicide or reports irresponsibly on it. So um, right now, um, almost 57% of you have said that you call it out on social media. 23.5% of you say that you don't notice. 16% of you say it doesn't bother you. And uh, 3.7% of you say that you share it. Uh, thankfully, a, a small number. I think I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of sharing 
um, irresponsible coverage mm-hmm. of suicide because it perpetuates it. That's it? right. It just continues to feed, um, you know, that 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 beast. Um, uh, a few comments uh, as well from our Twitter followers. Um, Hannah. Uh, TY75 said that she will give an opinion. Uh, Melissa said that um, they will report the post or and delete or hide it from view. Um, we also have LFC Eddie who said, um, who asked, isn't this sensationalizing the topic? Um, I, I'm I, I'm sorry that you think that because I hope what we were, we are trying to do is to um, you know, reinforce what Dr. Amir talked about. Just have conversations, um, uh, conversations that increase awareness about suicide prevention and help people to get support. Mm, that's right. And, and I think when we, when I see people calling out instances of irresponsible reporting, they are very clear as to why that was irresponsible as well. So it's not just like, hey, news organisation A, you are doing this wrong. It's why they're doing it wrong. You shouldn't share photos. You know, like Dr. What Dr., the key points from what Dr. Amir said, right? You shouldn't share images of the scene of the deceased individual, even if it's pixelated. People are saying that, you know, you shouldn't give these detailed descriptions of how the incident app happened and i also see people then sharing avenues to seek help you know these different organizations ngos um governmental hotlines mm-hmm. that you can reach out to to get help yes and like dr Mir said right what you want to do is use this opportunity to provide hope that's right uh and and, and uh, so if you are in need of emotional support um something we just want to share you know uh, just a few channels that you can reach out to if you want to talk to someone anonymously that's befriendless kl at zero three seven six two seven two nine two nine. are other NGOs like Miasa and Souls Health that provide mental health support, um, they have their presence online as well as on all the social media platforms. So do look them up um, if you need it. Yes, so that's all the time that we have for today's show. You can continue sharing your thoughts with us by tweeting us at BFM Radio or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. If you want to get in touch with us at The Bigger Picture directly, you can look us up on Facebook at BFM The Bigger Picture and drop us a message there. Um, If you miss any part of today's show... Don't worry, our podcast will be available later uh, shortly at bfm.my slash daily digest on the BFM app or on the various uh, uh, podcast platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And coming up next at 3pm is Live and Learn, where Hezrel Ashraf and Dashan Johan, Johan will be ex- taking a look at what um, whether at Tun M's position as well as uh, Pakatan Harapan in light of all the political developments Mm. that we are seeing in the past year. That will be an interesting one. Yes, so stay tuned for that after the news at 3pm. This has been the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.